So way back before I got married, one of the things I did when I would go out with someone new was I'd keep mental track throughout the date of what I liked or didn't like about the person, basically to see whether they'd be worth hanging out with again. And I didn't really realize how literally I was keeping score, so to speak, until one date started talking about how excited they were about having bought a new bookshelf and finally getting all the piles of books off their floor. And ooh, I thought, yes, a voracious reader like me. And I blurted out two points. And this person looked at me, kind of confused, kind of disturbed, and kind of shocked, and asked, are you keeping score on me? Needless to say, they didn't really want me to go out with them again. And it took an embarrassing number of years to uncover that I kept a lot more destructive tallies in my head, particularly tallies of people or institutions who'd hurt me or offended me. It's like whole invisible spreadsheets of them with line entries. They did this and this and this. And some of the harm or abuse has been devastating. Long-term scars and needing some long-term therapy. And others, though, on the list are pretty teeny, like I got cheated out of getting first place in first grade. And many... I'm ashamed to say, have led me down paths of wanting revenge and retaliation. The burden of this pain is in a large part of what led me to God and ultimately to Christianity. It's the incredible love God has for us, so powerful that absolutely nothing can separate us from it. And not even the worst things we've done or left undone. God's love is life-changing and life-giving. And what's at the heart of that love? It's God's forgiveness. So when Jesus asks us to love our neighbors as ourselves, he's actually asking us to enter into the brokenness and the muck and the hurt of our lives and our relationships with others. Just like he entered the chaos and pain and suffering of our world, bringing our human world light and hope and ultimately new life and resurrection. So in that same way, we too are to drill down into the chaos and the hurt and the nitty-gritty of broken relationships and drill down into that with love. And this, I think, is one of the most difficult things we're called to do. And this is what today's gospel reading is all about, forgiveness. Forgiving others, asking to be forgiven. So at the beginning of the reading, God, Peter asks, so how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus says to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. It's a lot of forgiving over and over and over again. It's like Peter is asking from his perspective, should I be so incredibly generous as to forgive seven times over? And Jesus is saying, nope. Forgiveness is beyond a number you can even conceive. 
And when Peter's asking the question, he's only conceiving of the issue in terms of the people he needs to forgive. The ones perhaps on his invisible laundry list. He's seeing himself through the eyes of having been hurt, having been victimized, and stretching himself to love the ones that are so hard to love. But the idea that he himself is the one who needs forgiveness over and over again isn't quite on the table. And we, with the knowledge of the whole gospel, know that Peter is the one Jesus forgives over and over again for huge things. Peter losing faith on the water, starting to sink. Peter rebuffing Jesus after he tells Jesus, you know, you're the Messiah, but you aren't supposed to die. And then Peter again denying Jesus three times before the cock crows, even though he'd sworn ahead of time he wouldn't. And Jesus forgives. We pray this every single worship service. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass, who sin against us. So there's really interesting symbiotic relationship between being forgiven and doing the forgiving. And it's in this totally exaggerated hyperbolic parable that Jesus tells there's a king who wants to settle his accounts, to, you know, clear the spreadsheet of debts, and a slave who owes him an obscene amount of money. This amount of money the slave owes, some scholars have compared it to more than the debt of a small nation. Others have tried to calculate it out, and some coming up with the number of a million days of work. Impossible to humanly pay off. But the slave comes forward and falls on his knees, abjectly, honestly, saying, forgive me, you know, have mercy, have pity on me. I owe you all this, have patience with me. And the king forgives the slave. So the slave trapes off blissfully and then someone comes to him asking for forgiveness of a sum that he's owed for a hundred days worth of work. And this forgiven slave turns to the person who owes him and throws them in prison. Forgiving is really, really hard. And asking for forgiveness is also terribly hard. And once we are hurt and once we are victimized, our pain begets revenge, which begets retaliation and re re begets retribution. And there's this cycle of hurt and abuse and violence, one against the other, ad infinitum. The Psalms are full of all these desires, the Psalms which capture every human emotion. And the very worst Psalm, the worst wish in one of the Psalms is asking God to bash enemies' babies into rocks. Here's the thing, in seeking revenge rather than walking into forgiveness, we end up handing ourselves over to this world of violence. We stay shackled to pain without forgiveness. We, sha we stay shackled to the power that the perpetrator has uh, over us when we don't forgive. 
So what Jesus is calling us to do here is essentially take contrary action, to step out in love. And this does not mean that we deny harm. His true forgiveness requires total honesty with ourselves and with God and ultimately with whom the person with whom we are forgiving or from whom we are asking forgiveness. And the funny thing about not being honest is that the only person we're actually fooling is ourselves. God, we have a God that's an all-knowing God from whom no secrets are hid, as we often pray. So when we hide the truth of what we've done wrong, or what wrongs have been done to us, when we hide the depths of our pain or the depths of our guilt, we actually hurt ourselves. And we stay shackled to the other party. And we can, in that cycle, inflict harm on others. And there's so many ways that sidestepping truth and not entering full truth warps forgiveness and asking to be forgiven and can't even turn it into a weapon of sorts for revenge or re-victimization. I mean, think about how many times we've heard things, especially by, uh, let's say, political corporate leaders, I'm so sorry if you were offended. I'm so sorry if you feel hurt. Making the hurt the problem of the person who was hurt, instead of saying, I'm so sorry I did X, Y, or Z. Instead of taking responsibility, honest responsibility for the harm. There's another way we sidestep truth. We can explain or justify what we did. Those are the, I'm sorry, but, I'm sorry, but I was frantic that day. I'm sorry, but you know, you were screaming at me and I had to X, Y, Z. Again, this denies the person who's hurt's problem. It makes that hurt their problem. It flips the compassion over to asking the victim to have compassion for the perpetrator. And sometimes we can even just flat out deny the impact of the harm we caused, especially if we don't judge it to be as big a harm as the person who felt hurt. Think about any time you heard, I'm sorry, but, you know, really get over it already. There's a remarkable book that Desmond Tutor, Tutu and his daughter, Mfo Tutu, who's also a priest, a remarkable book they've written on forgiveness called The Book of Forgiving. And it outlines a fourfold path towards healing ourselves in the world. And their emphasis throughout is on truth-telling. It's an overwhelming emphasis. Moving us through this path of telling the truth of the story to ourselves, to God. Naming the specifics of the hurt. And then moving to forgiveness. Moving to a space of letting go of the right to exact retribution. Letting go of the wish that horrible things would happen to the person who caused the harm. And finally, to a space of either renewing or releasing the relationship.
you know, right relationship or renewing a relationship does not ignore the consequences of evil. Sometimes the healthiest, holiest thing may not be to renew the relationship. Sometimes the forgiveness is the letting go. So forgiveness does not deny injustice, and it is not to shove down or shove aside pain. And yeah, it's not easy. I can preach on it, but do I live it out in my daily life? Those who know me know that I struggle with forgiveness. So how often do we forgive? As many as seven times? Not seven times, says Jesus, but 77 times. I like the 77. It's this over and over again process. This idea that it's not a one and done deal. That as we forgive and as we are forgiven, more is revealed. And we grow closer and closer to deeper, deeper love of our neighbors. And in this honesty, we grow closer and closer to the love of God. We are more able to accept God's love and ultimately accept God's forgiveness of us. So yes, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So let's go forth. Let us ponder forgiveness. Let us remember that God's enormous, enormous love for us is all merciful, all forgiving. 77 times over and over again, we are held by God's love and invited to walk into this path of forgiveness. Amen.